Yeah, so we're uh, continuing. We're on the uh, second last one in our series here, uh, One Ministry for Service. And we've been going through these five ones. And uh, the idea behind this series, just as a quick recap, is that when we look at Christians, when we look at believers in Christ Jesus, all over the world and all through time, for 2,000 years, you find Christians consistently behaving and doing the same thing. And we started out in our first service talking about the introduction to this series, talking about who we be versus what we do. Do be, do be, do. You remember that, right? That was to stick in your head. So who we be influences what we do, and what we do is the greatest testimony of who we actually are. If we want to consider what we believe and who we are, Look at what we do. And so we're going through these five ones, these things that Christians do all the time, worship, prayer, discipleship, gathering in groups, uh, time with God, ministry for service, and one friend for Christ. And as we go through these five ones, and maybe you got a, a fridge magnet this morning, you can stick that on your fridge to remind us and compare ourselves to, are we doing these things? Are we living out the things that we believe? Are we living out who we are and who we be? And, uh, Today we're on one ministry for service because, of course, if you were to look around the world or look all through history, you would find Christians are serving. Christians are serving each other within the church, caring for one another, and Christians are serving the world. You don't find authentic Christianity anywhere without service. And, of course, we uh, see this in the early church. If we were to look in the New Testament, uh, in the chapter of Acts, which talks about the early acts of the church and the apostles, uh, in Acts chapter 6, uh, the church has grown really big and there's too many people to feed and, and the apostles are super busy and, and there they anoint seven helpers to uh, help with feeding uh, the widows. And then in, if you keep going in Acts, Acts chapter 9, there's actually a, a sudden death in the church and everybody's panicking because this person has died and, and, and this person is so important to the church and you're thinking like, who is it? Like John or, you know, somebody died in the church. It's, it's Tabitha. It's this, it's this woman who who made sewed clothes and who served the church by by sewing garments for the poor and so everybody's in a panic because Tabitha is dead and they call Peter and he raises her back to life so I mean if your ministry is really important I could visit you and you know maybe God willing God might even bring you back from the dead if your ministry is that important to the church I mean this is how this is how important service is and then and then as you go through the the, the letters that that Paul wrote and that Peter wrote and and John and James the the half-brother of Jesus, he especially exhorts the church in his letter about the serving nature of Christianity, of how Christians are meant to serve each other in the world. But what I want to talk about this morning is, is how Christian service is uniquely service. What, what sets Christian service apart, or how do we as Christians serve uniquely in what we believe, and, and uh, what motivates it, and how do we do it, and, and what are we doing this service for? And these are really the questions we need answered. And so today, that's what I'm looking at. I'm just going to open up in a word of prayer before we begin. Father, this, this is an important question, because lots of people serve, not just Christians, of course. People serve their family, they uh, even serve charities and generously for causes, Um, but there is a uniqueness to Christian service that we need to understand as believers and followers of you. So today, I just pray that by by opening your word, by seeing what your son has done and said, by seeing what your apostles have taught, uh, that we would, by your Holy Spirit, know how we are to serve and how you have placed us in this body and in this family to serve in a unique way with unique gifts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So there's different motivations for ministry, and, and I want to cover some negative, very quickly, some negative motivations for ministry, and then look at some of the positive ones that we really should have from Scripture. And, and sometimes we serve, and you find people serving in the world or even in the church out of pride. And the, the motive for pride can be both uh, obvious and subtle. In other words, um, people can serve out of pride because they want to be seen serving. And uh, Jesus talked about this with the Pharisees who were praying and who were giving alms and doing things and uh, blowing trumpets in the street. And he said they have their reward in full, right? Like, like they've got the praise of men and that's all the reward they're going to get. And some people serve that way. But there's another sort of subtle form of pride too, which is that we serve, in two, two forms of pride actually, where we serve out of our gifts because it's fulfilling to us. It's meaningful to us. And uh, this can often happen when you have a particular passion or a particular talent. And uh, we have a wonderful music team ministry here, and we have musicians and singers, and I'm not accusing them of any of this. But um, actually I did, as I was looking into this, I heard about uh, a man who was at a concert, and he was, or not at a concert, he was at a conference. And uh, he was a guitarist, and uh, he was... Uh, listening to the conference, and it was nothing that was said at the conference. It was not the teaching. It was not the lessons. It was uh, in between the sessions, um, the speaker had asked that the, the pianist actually uh, would uh, do another song differently than what he had planned, a, a new song. And the pianist had simply responded, I'm here to serve, and then gone into that, that, that new request from the, from the speaker. And, and what the guy in the audience realized, he said, that service heart is not why I play, play guitar. I play guitar because I enjoy playing guitar. I, you know, it's not even necessarily for the adoration of the people or out of pride, but just simply because of his own personal enjoyment. And so some people serve out of pride, just their own self-fulfillment. And then pride can also influence our, our service in this way too, in a negative sense, in that uh, we feel like we're the ones that should be served. And this is a culture that, as you sort of uh, go up in the ranks and class and social status in any particular organization or in culture as a whole, uh, you just sort of naturally in North America, we feel like we're the ones that get served. I mean, it's ironic that the people who actually have more are the people who get served the most. Um, you know, the more fame you have, the more money you have, the more people are willing to give you things, right? If you just use this product or eat at my restaurant or do this, you can have it for free because obviously, you know, you're a really important person. And so don't you do anything for me. Let me do stuff for you. And so we get this weird dynamic and it can even subtly creep into the church too, where it's like, well, you know, I've been at this church. I was born in this church and I grew up in this church and I've been at this church for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of my life. And, you know, I've done my time and, and, uh, this church now is here to serve me. And so pride can creep in in the sense that we feel like we're entitled to service rather than to serve. And that's a bad motivation to serve out of, out of receiving adoration for our own self gratification or not to serve out of pride. And then another one is, is power, either to have power or, uh, or power to be served rather than to serve, similar to prayer. So some people do that. Some people serve in the church because they want to have influence over things or they want to have control over things. And so they say, well, I'm going to serve on the, this team or I'm going to serve in this area because I want it done my way and I want to make sure nobody does it any other way than my way, so I'm going to serve there for that reason. That's not a good motivation for power, but or for service, but some people serve for that reason. Or guilt, right? And this is a very common one. This one is the one that often comes from up here, right? You serve out of a motivation of guilt. And uh, actually early in my uh, sort of ministry as a pastor, and uh, this was not intentional, but it sort of was, um, 
Some people picked up on one of the tactics that I used uh, early in my ministry, and uh, I actually got a nickname from some of the young people in my old church called Pastor Guilt. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly wasn't trying to make them feel guilty. Uh, I tried to explain to them that it was actually the Holy Spirit convicting them that they needed to be doing things. But... Uh, they sort of felt it was mostly me. And so I took that, I listened, I heard with discernment what they were saying, and I altered my ways. And uh, But yeah, guilt is not a good reason to serve. And so this message up here, I am not here to guilt you into doing something. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, you know, uh, I'm being made to feel guilty, that's not coming from me. It may be coming from the Holy Spirit, though. Because there actually is something called a godly guilt. There is a conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads by power to transform and change in your life. So there may be an area in your life that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and change. But if we're serving out of any of those wrong motives, then then serving only by our own then we're actually only serving by our own own power. We're actually only serving in the power of our own flesh and in the limitation of our flesh and for the wrong goals. And that kind of service ultimately wears us out and accomplishes less for our effort than we actually put in. And so you'll see that in ministry as well, where you'll see people working really hard but not seeming to get the results that they're hoping for, or they're feeling more tired and more burnt out as weeks go on and months go on rather than refreshed and encouraged and enjoying the ministry that they're doing. So what I want to do today quickly is look into the Word and just see what motivates Christian ministry and how we do Christian ministry and why we do Christian ministry, its purpose. And I think these three things will affect our view on our daily and weekly Christian service. And the three things are this, that that our motivation comes out of the image-bearing of Christ and that we serve in the Spirit of Christ and that we are serving the Gospel of Christ. And so first of all, motivated by the image-bearing of Christ, what we are becoming. Serving in the image of Christ means that we are more and more being drawn into the likeness of Christ. And I look at Ephesians 5, 1-2. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to be imitators of God, imitators of Christ. Or 1 John 3, 2-3, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So you see what John is saying? He's saying, we are not yet like Christ, but that glorious day is coming when when he appears, we are going to become like him. But everyone who has that hope is in this lifelong process of that image attaining of Christ. We're to be in the image of Christ. And so when we think of our service, we think of it, first of all, in terms of how we are to serve and be like Christ just as Christ served. And so in what way we imitate Christ is in the ministry or in service. Because if you look at Jesus, if you look at who he was and what he exemplified for us and what he did for us, we can see, say, in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, here is what we are becoming. Jesus called them together, the disciples together, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, right? They serve out of pride or they are served. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this first point is simply this, that we are, as believers in Christ, as Christians, uniquely different in the world in the sense that we are day by day, week by week, month by month, I hope for all of us, being transformed into and closer to the likeness of Christ. And when we talk about what is the likeness of Christ, the likeness of Christ is the humble servant. The likeness of Christ is the one who serves, not is served. He did not come to be served, but instead to serve, even to lay down his life for others. And so when you look all through time and all over the world, you will find Christians who are doing this ministry for service, they're all acting for 2,000 years, behaving the same way. Where you find authentic Christianity, you find people who are authentically laying down their life in humility, not to be served, but to serve others. And they're doing it because they are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, who came as the ultimate example of servanthood to us. And so first, when we talk about our Christian service, then we talk about serving in the image bearing or in the likeness of Christ that we are attaining. And I don't know whether we think about that very often, right? When you're changing diapers in the nursery, right? Or you're, you know, sticking the popsicle sticks together in Sunday school or, you know, cleaning up the leak in the basement. We're not thinking that we are in that moment being conformed to the likeness of Christ because we're willing to serve rather than be served. And conversely, I don't think very often that we realize that when we sit back and are happy to let other people serve us and not serve, that we are rejecting the likeness of Christ. That we are saying, no, I'm not going to be that humble person. I'm not going to take on the likeness of Christ. I'm going to take on the likeness of these Gentiles, of these Pharisees who lord it over others, and I enjoy being served. But we don't tend to think that way. But as Christians, the teaching here in Scripture is that's how you have to think, that everything you do speaks to who you be. And so first of all, it's that we are becoming like Christ and that we're serving in our image-bearing or our becoming like Christ. Secondly, we're serving in the Spirit of Christ. How are we able to serve the way Christ served? Right? How, how do we have this humility when so much in our flesh rebels against us? How do we have the power to serve selflessly and humbly others, even when they don't necessarily appreciate or even see the service? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit that we serve in the Spirit of Christ, not just in our image-bearing of Christ, but actually in the Spirit of Christ that He's given us. And we do that, first of all, with gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4-5, He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. All Christians all through time, all around the globe, right now today, all have the same Lord. All serve in the same spirit. There's one Holy Spirit, but there are many gifts and there are many services that we offer. Now, when I first came here four years ago, this is one of the very first, I think it was the second sermon that I taught. I gave this example, and I'm just going to do this quickly for you now so that you can get a sense of maybe what your spiritual gift is or or where your area of service is in the church. Because sometimes people say, I don't understand what my gift is, or I I don't know how to do it. And so I use this little example of a broken glass. So you can imagine, I think at the time I used Annabelle as an example, but I'll pick somebody different, one of your little, like Macy or somebody, uh, you know, or Lincoln. 
you know, so one of these little children, I, they know that I get thirsty sometimes, and so they're bringing a glass of water up to me because they can tell that I'm parched. And on their way up here, they trip and they fall and they, they break the glass. And you can imagine then that with that glass there broken and the water on the floor, immediately, as you just picture that happening, you're all having different thoughts about how you might respond to this. And the way you would respond to that situation might shed light on your spiritual gift and and help explain how these gifts work within the church that the Holy Spirit has given us. So if you, for instance, had the gift of prophecy, which is truth-telling or warning, then you might say something like, Macy, the world is full of pitfalls. Be careful how you walk, lest you're led astray from the right path. And there's consequences. Watch the path in front of you. That's somebody operating in the gift of prophecy. That's how they would react. And Macy would say, what are you talking about? But that's how a gift of prophecy works. But maybe you have the gift of mercy and you would say, oh, Macy, I, I know how you feel. I do that all the time. Come, come give me a hug and, and don't listen to that prophecy guy. <laughs> right? Because you just have that compassion in your heart. That's the gift of mercy that God's given you. Or maybe you have the gift of service and so you're thinking, where's the mop? Right? There's water all over the floor. I can clean this up right now before somebody steps on the glass. Just get me a mop, get me a pan, I'll get this cleaned up. Because your heart immediately responds to there's service that needs to be done. Or, or maybe God's given you the gift of leadership. And so you are sitting there thinking, okay, right away we need a system in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. Right? We should be using plastic bottles, and the worship team leader will make sure that there's one plastic bottle of water for everybody on stage every Sunday, and we'll label them with a Sharpie so they don't get mixed up and give each other germs. Right? That's how people with the gift of leadership respond to this situation. Macy can cry over here on the steps. It doesn't matter. Just get the system in place so that it doesn't happen again. Oh, that's right. It, yeah, it doesn't matter to you. It matters that somebody else is going to do it. Yeah. That's right. I should be careful. It does matter, and you do care. You just care that somebody else cares. Or there's the gift of teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, then you would say, Macy, when you carry water, make sure that there's no condensation on the glass. Hold it with both hands and watch where you're walking. This is the proper way to carry water in a glass because you're a teacher. Or maybe you have the gift of generosity and giving, and you just think, how much would it cost to just replace all the glasses with unbreakable cups, right? Because, like, here's a check, 500 bucks, let's just get it fixed, and we're done, right? These are all different spiritual gifts. So now one thing has happened in the church, right? And through serving in the spiritual gift that is the spirit of Christ in you, everybody sees this same event through their own motivational gift and perspective. It's not what's right or wrong or what is the right gift or the right response or the wrong response. It's how the whole body operates together to respond to the event in the church. And of course, other gifts and other events will all are all active and all involved all the time in our church life. Not just with, you know, broken glass of water on the floor but with what's going on at the hospital, with what's going on in marriages, with what's going on in Sunday school, with what's going on on Sunday morning, with with what's happening out on the streets, with what's happening at Trunk or Treat. There's spiritual gifts that are needed for our how our church functions. We need gifts of leadership. We need gifts of generosity. We need gifts of faith. We need gifts of mercy. We need gifts of leading, teaching, all these things. And so it's our job as Christians to understand that we're not... We're not operating or serving without those spiritual gifts. God has given each of us unique spiritual gifts. And that little story might have 
You might have resonated with one or more of those examples of how to serve in that situation. If water spilled, it needs to be mopped up. And we can all participate in all the things that's required around that situation. Don't say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of service and so I don't have anything to do here. All the gifts are needed in all the things that we're doing. And if the Sunday school needs helpers, and Elena does need helpers in Sunday school, and there's a little, there's a little handout in your sheet there, in your bulletin there that, that has some different things that you can participate in. At the same time, we don't just say, well, I only serve in my spiritual gift and that's it. Right? Like if, if I don't have the gift of, of, you know, this particular gift, then I'm not going to serve in that area. No, we all serve in all the areas, but we especially serve in the area of our gifting. Secondly, in terms of the gifts, then God also gives us passions. Still serving out of the Spirit of Christ, understand that God has wired you uniquely, right? That He has knit you in your mother's womb. And He knew that you would be sitting here in this church at Lakeside on this day, that you would be in this faith community, in this family of God for a purpose today. And God gave you gifts and He also gave you unique passions and put you together. Romans 12:11, Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul, he says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep your spiritual fervor, zeal and fervor. Those are kind of weird words we don't use every day, right? He's talking about passion. He's talking about energy. He's talking about commitment. And our passion sometimes shows up in noticing the lack of the same passion in others, right? And this is where you can tell your passion. You might think, you're thinking about Lakeside, and you would, this is a little, a little way to find it. Is you think, this church needs more people who care about X. Or you think, if I could just change one thing at Lakeside, it would be that we do more of this. Or usually it's, Pastor Paul should be doing more of this. Right? That's how often our passions come out in our flesh. Right? And you can fill in the blank. Right? What it is you think other people should be doing more of. Right? Or what you think I should be doing differently. That's your area of passion. You're saying we should be singing more this way. Or we should be doing more outreach. Or we should be having more small groups. Or there should be more Bible studies. Or, you know, Paul should preach longer. Or Paul should preach shorter. Or whatever it is, right? Like, you have a passion and that reveals itself in your own preferences. You know, we should pray more. Whatever it is. Now maybe sometimes it's true. Maybe sometimes it's true that there's something other people need to do. But here's the reality. When you have that little voice in your head saying, Lakeside should be doing this, or Pastor Paul should be doing this, or I wish more people did this, or why don't people care about the same thing I do? That's, again, the Holy Spirit perhaps talking to you saying, you have that passion. You have that gift. You have that compassion for those people. You have that awareness of that need. I've placed you in Lakeside to address that. Not by telling other people to do it, but by leading that ministry. Now, other people may join you in that, but if you have a passion for outreach, if you have a passion for prayer, if you have a passion for hospitality and community, if you have a passion for discipleship, if you have a passion for a ministry that you see that we're lacking, then God is calling you to say, that's where I want you to work. That's where you can step forward and say, other people may come and follow me if I lead there. And if the field is ripe for the harvest, then God will raise up the workers for that harvest. So God leads us in his spirit, both in the spiritual gifts that he's given you and in the unique passions he's given you. And we, as a body of Christ, need you to serve in those passions. Right? The other wrong way to look at that is, well, I already do that on my own. I don't need to do it in ministry because I'm already really good at that. 
yeah, that's why we who aren't good at it need you to lead us in it. Right? So if you're really good at hospitality, we need you leading a hospitality ministry to teach us guys who are horrible at it how to do it right. If you're good at evangelism and opening up those spiritual conversations with people, the answer is not to say, well, I don't need an evangelism ministry. I'm great at evangelism. Right. That's why we need you in our seeker team and in our evangelism ministries to teach us and lead us and give us who aren't as good at evangelism courage. And so that's the purpose of how the spiritual gifts and the passions work in the church. And God gives us this framework for using these gifts, and that framework is the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And I'm not going to go into all this, but, you know, the body, just for, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Right? I don't have to teach you all that stuff again, because I know all of you know that. That we're one body with many members, and we're all to participate in the body of Christ, which is the church. So we serve because we are image bearers of God, and we are becoming like God, like Jesus. We serve out of our image bearing of Him. We serve out of the spiritual gifts and the spiritual passions in the Spirit of Christ and with not giving up our spiritual fervor. And then thirdly, we're serving the gospel of Christ. And this is why we're serving. This is important, really important to understand the purpose in this. Because as Steve prayed, we're not just up here doing busy work for the sake of having a social club. There's lots of social clubs out there that we can join. We don't have to invent another one. Okay, so the reason that we're serving and the reason that serving God is so fulfilling is because God has given us a purpose, and that purpose is the gospel. Again, when the Apostle Paul is talking about his ministry in Romans chapter 1, he talks about his, uh, he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about his, uh, his ministry, and he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Okay, so there he is serving with his spirit in the gospel of his Son. The service that Paul sees that he's doing is serving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to get a little bit better at this, I think, as a people. I don't mean us lakeside necessarily. I mean us as Christians, even in North America, us as Christians maybe even worldwide, but especially in North America. We have to get a little bit better at understanding the gospel in a broader context than its sort of common reductionist use. I mean, when I'm up here, if you've been around for a couple of years, you know that I talk about the gospel a lot, the good news of Jesus Christ, and I keep bringing things back to the gospel because the gospel is not constrained to evangelism, which is how we often think of it. We think of the gospel. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, God's son, Jesus Christ, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died the death, sacrificial death that we needed, you know, went to the cross, went to the tomb, was raised to prove the promise of God that we can have eternal life if we believe in him. That's the gospel. And so we kind of limit the gospel to just justification by faith alone. If you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified. And then we fast forward, and because you're justified, you get to heaven later on. So it's just like gospel here, and then gospel at the end, glorification, you're in heaven. Hallelujah. But the gospel isn't, isn't just that. The gospel is everything that Jesus has done. And that's what we have to sort of expand our understanding of what the gospel is. The gospel is a daily need for ourselves and a daily practice for others. We never as Christians really leave the gospel because we are always in reliance on what Christ has done on the cross. Every single day we need the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and we need the redemption that's taking place. And so I sort of give you these words of restoration and redemption and sanctification. Those are all parts of the gospel. 
The fact that we are becoming like Christ. The fact that we have broken families that need to be healed. The fact that we have broken relationships that need to be redeemed. The fact that we've made choices that have hurt people and we have to restore those things and heal those things. That's all gospel. Jesus Christ came to restore not just the relationship of mankind with God, but to restore all of creation. God gave us Jesus Christ and the gospel and what he accomplished on the cross and the Holy Spirit so that we can restore relationships, so that we can heal hurt marriages, so that we are constantly redeeming choices that we have made that have caused harm. And so the gospel is a daily application in our life. And so when you think about your service... In the image-bearing of Christ and in the spirit of Christ, you understand that you are serving to participate in the redeeming work of the gospel of Christ. All the work that you do is good news to the world that God is at work healing. So even if it's just cleaning up a broken glass, it's just comforting a young child, if it's just you know putting a better system in place so that things like that don't happen, if it's teaching in a small group, if it's teaching in Sunday school, if it's showing hospitality to a stranger... Right, If it's coming alongside somebody who's struggling in their marriage and giving them counsel, you are in all of those situations right there participating in gospel ministry because you are redeeming a situation. You are healing a hurt. And that is what Christ came to do, to redeem. And so we're called to participate in this redemptive work of God that God initiated in Jesus Christ. You remember Matthew 20, 28, I was reading that whoever desires to be great must become a slave and all of that thing, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, specifically to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I want to land on that. Just in the last couple minutes here, I want to land on that idea of this Jesus Christ giving his life as a ransom for many. The cross tells us the value of everyone we encounter. It teaches us the price that God was willing to pay to redeem every family, every household, every person that we meet. It shows us the lengths that we then, as Christians, as image bearers of Christ, the lengths that we should go for peace, the lengths that we should go for reconciliation, the lengths that we should go for healing, the work and the service that we should extend to participate in this redemption. And I think the Apostle Paul perfectly captures this in one of the most amazing verses um, in Colossians 1.24. And I think if you see it in this light, you'll understand what Paul is saying. He says in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Or you could read, I, I rejoice in laying down my life to serve you. Let me rephrase it that way a little bit. Paul says, I I rejoice in laying down my life in service of you for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Like that's, that is a crazy verse. Paul is saying, as I submit my life, as I lay down my life to make choices to serve you, then what I am doing is I'm filling up what Jesus is not here to do. Jesus has died. He's gone to heaven. He's on the right hand of God interceding for us. Praise God. Hallelujah. But he's not here. Paul says, I have to do that. I have to fill up what Jesus can no longer do by laying down my life. I could have gone and been a Pharisee, right? I could be at the synagogue right now with all my robes on, all my knowledge. I'm, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, you know, he was a big shot. He could have had a totally different life. He said, I'm giving that life up to serve you. 
And we as Christians all have to have this same gospel service in our ministry. Because you can say, you know what? I could be at home right now working on my car. I could be out on the golf course, you know, knocking in nine holes. I could be watching my big screen TV. I could be sitting in my hot tub. I have a whole other life. I could be driving my car, riding my motorbike. I could be doing all kinds of things. I could be in the Dominican Republic sitting on a beach. I could be doing lots of other things. But what Christians do is they say, you know what? I'm going to lay down that life. I lay that life down. I give my life to serve the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So Paul applies that idea of how Jesus gave up his life, how Paul gives up his life, how we as Christians give up our life for each other. And then Paul applies that gospel to everything. He, he does it to our spouse, right? If you go read Ephesians 5.25, he talks about how husbands are to love their lives and do what? Give up their life for them just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, how do you lay down your life for your wife? You give up the life that you think you should have or maybe want to have, which is, you know, three days on the golf course and, you know, five days out uh, on the... That's too many days. Uh, three days on the golf course and four days in math class. Um, you know, that life that you want to live, you know, driving your car or doing whatever it is you want to do, you say, that's yeah, I could do that, but I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to serve my wife instead. Right? And, he, and he applies it to children, right? He, he, in Ephesians 4 and then in 8.16, and he, he says, Fathers, you know, don't aggravate your children. And it's like, yeah, you could lord it over your children and all those things, but you're going to lay down your life to serve your children, to serve your family. And, and he applies it to the church. He applies it everywhere. You know, Galatians 6 talks about bearing each other's burdens, right? I could easily say, I, I don't have to bear those burdens. There's a light. I mean, there's all kinds of things. I can go watch Netflix all night. I don't have to sit with this guy and grieve with him or coach him, or tell him again the things that he needs to know. You know, I could, you know, I could be watching Star Trek or something. But you lay down that life to serve others. And so this is important. We serve with a purpose. It's important uh, that we keep that in mind. And one of the things that may be helpful, there's a, a common illustration that's used here very quickly. There's two guys who are mixing concrete, and it's a dirty job. It's a hard job. I don't know anybody here mix concrete before by hand. It's hard to mix concrete, right? I mean, it's heavy, you got gravel, you got sand, you're mixing it. Even if you have one of those machines, it's still hard work, and it's dirty. You cannot not get covered in concrete. And these two guys are mixing concrete day after day after day, month after month after month. They're mixing concrete, mixing concrete, mixing concrete. And the one guy goes home, and he's discouraged all the time because his wife asked him, he says, what did you do today? I mixed concrete. You know, and it was hard, and it was heavy, and I couldn't do it. The other guy... He comes to work every day. He's happy. He's whistling. He's thrilled. You know, he's, you know he's, he, he never seems to mind. Another day, another batch of concrete doesn't bother him at all. Goes home to his wife. His wife asks him, what do you do today? He says, oh, we're building a cathedral. And so the cathedral is what he has in mind when he's mixing concrete. And so we can get caught up in that in terms of what is the purpose of our work. And so you can go home from church and you say, well, what happened at church today? Well, I was in the nursery. I changed diapers five times. Right? Yeah, well, were you changing diapers? Or were you serving the gospel in the kingdom of God? Right? Or, or you can say, well, what'd you do today? What'd you do this week? And you, can, you know, you were, out, you were out last night. What happened? It's like, oh, you know, he's going through a really rough time. And, you know, I was just coaching him through it. And I've been over this a hundred times. I was getting really discouraged and stuff like that. And you can think, you know, really, are you, just, are you just beating your head against a wall? Or are you discipling another brother in Christ for the purpose of the gospel and the kingdom? 
And so we have to understand what our perspective is when we work. Paul says you're not changing diapers, you're not vacuuming a floor, you're not hosting a Bible study, you're not doing crafts with kids, you're not updating websites. What you're doing is you're serving in the redemptive plan of God for mankind in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose behind your service that we have to get. So just really quickly, if you look at that sheet there, you understand what I'm saying here is that there is an importance to the volunteers in the body of Christ. The website gets updated by volunteers. Your, your bulletin got to you through volunteers. Your kids are getting good gospel teaching right now by volunteers. The small groups are run by volunteers. The Wednesday family night has one staff person and a dozen volunteers. The, the women of the word Bible studies run by volunteers. Men Bible studies, volunteers, blast, riot, one staff person. The rest, all volunteers. All this great music that happens up here, volunteers, shepherd's table, volunteers, pretty much anything that goes on here is volunteers. And so as you look at these five ones, one ministry for service is really important. And remember, if you're doing all these things, that's great. But the point of these is to say, what what maybe am I not doing? And why am I not doing it? Because this is what Christians do all through time, all around the world. Let me just press in on the heart of the issue here. Where you refuse to serve others or simply serve others with a wrong motive, then what's really being revealed about your heart is that you think this is all about you. Or maybe what it's revealing is that you just think it's mixing concrete and you don't have your eyes on the cathedral. And so this is an area of motive in our heart that we have to examine, why we're serving or why we're not serving. Jesus says, you bear my image, and I didn't come to be served but to serve. I gave you a spiritual gift and heavenly power for service and passion. And I placed you in a spiritual body. And I have a greater purpose for you in life that's world-redeeming and life-redeeming work. What is the one place you are serving the gospel in your area of spiritual gift and your passions? And if you can't name even that one area, then I just encourage you to take the initiative and find it. Because if we be Christian, we do ministry. That's the reality of the Christian life. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be a healthy church body. And a healthy church body has all the parts working. From the top of the head right down to the tips of the toes. And so if there's a little pinky, or there's a thumb somewhere, or there's an ear, or there's just something that's not part of the body right now and not serving with us, then we're not fully healthy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would raise up leaders, raise up workers, stir these passions, reveal these gifts, and show people that they are serving the gospel, the redeeming work that God has begun in this world. Show them how important it is that they participate in the ministry here in your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.